Last week, Pastor Tom preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, about what it means to see people as full of life, as being worthy of dignity and compassion, what it looks like to be a neighbor and not just worry incessantly about who our neighbors are. The story of the Good Samaritan challenges our ideas of purity and propriety and calls us into the highways and byways of our neighborhoods, loving the people we might otherwise want to avoid. And so right after Luke tells us about this encounter between Jesus and the lawyer, he tells us about another encounter Jesus has with someone. Another encounter that challenges some of our preconceived notions about what it means to be a good neighbor. And so this is how that story goes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a lot of us, I think, hear this story and get a little disgruntled. <laughs> this is one of those stories in Scripture that we all have a lot of thoughts about. Because it sounds a whole lot like Jesus is critiquing Martha for being a good host. And many of us pride ourselves in being good hosts. Right? When there is company coming for dinner, the entire day is spent cleaning the house and prepping food. As a kid, it didn't matter how much I tried to convince my mother that our dinner guests were not, in fact, going to notice if there was a spot of dust on the tops of the spine of a book on the top shelf of the bookshelf in the living room. I still had to take everything off of the bookshelf, dust all of those things, then dust the bookshelves, then return everything to said bookshelf. How many of you kids here have to clean a lot when company comes? Right? Yes. How many of you try to convince your parents that you shouldn't have to? Let me tell you, when you get older, you start understanding this mentality, and you too will want to clean, and it's really annoying. <laughs> and then when the company arrives, it's a flurry of making drinks and offering snacks and refilling water glasses, of bringing out the meal and then serving the dessert and then making the decaf coffee, finally collapsing in a heap when the last guest leaves. We are exhausted but we are satisfied. We have done our hosting duties well. In the ancient Jewish context in which our story takes place, hospitality was maybe even more important than it is today. Things had to be done just so. Otherwise, guests would feel slighted or dishonored. And the role of hostess, the, the responsibility of this hospitality, would have fallen to the woman of the household. 
So when Jesus shows up, presumably unannounced to the city of Bethany, with a whole gang of disciples behind him, Martha flies into a flurry of activity. She has a job to do, and she is going to do it. She runs jugs of water and wine out to her guests every 10 minutes, keeping one eye on the oven where some bread is baking while she mixes a salad on the table in the middle of the room, running out the back door every second she gets to turn the spit so the chicken cooks evenly. The towel thrown over her shoulder is covered in chicken grease and flour, and the sweat she is mopping from her brow, courtesy of the oven and her anxiety. And every time she runs into the main room to refill glasses, she scowls. Because Mary, her good-for-nothing little sister, is not pulling her weight. Sure, Mary gets up once in a while to refill a water jug, but then she waltzes right back out of the kitchen, flopping herself down next to Jesus, her legs drawn under her in contented laziness, listening to the stories Jesus is telling of their recent travels. Martha is incensed. Mary is not doing what she is supposed to be doing. She's not hosting at all. And so after an hour or so of this nonsense, Martha has enough. She marches out of the kitchen, flour flying from her hair, until she stands before Jesus, who looks up mid-sentence, to see Martha point an accusatory finger at her little sister and say, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She must have been fixing to keep going, to further explain the unfairness of this situation. But as she opens her mouth to take a big breath before plowing on, Jesus interrupts her. Martha, Martha, you have so much going on. But right now, only one thing needs to happen. And Mary is doing that one thing. And the one thing that Mary is doing is paying attention to her guest, is paying attention to Jesus. I wish that Luke told us how Martha responded to this. Whether she just stood there in disbelief for a few moments before huffing back to the kitchen to add some more olive oil to the dressing, mumbling under her breath that it's all fine and good for Jesus to tell her to chill, but it's not like he's offering to miraculously turn the salad into steak now. Or if she takes a deep breath and lets it out slowly, her shoulders unclenching, the towel slipping to the floor in a great flowery poof. But instead of picking it up to clean it, if she just sits down on top of it, as she too begins to listen to Jesus. We don't know. We don't know how Martha responded. And I wonder if we know how we would respond. 
whether we would sit at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of our guest, or if we would also stalk back to the kitchen, muttering about expectations and duty and how no one appreciates the work we put into these things. Because expectations are very real. They were real for Martha. She was, in fact, doing exactly what society demanded that she do. According to all the rules of the day, she was being a good host. And we have our own expectations of what it looks like to be a good host, a good friend, a good neighbor. What it looks like to be good and kind and thoughtful and generous. And after hearing the story of the Good Samaritan, a story about the importance of doing, of taking real action to help a neighbor, we feel pretty okay that many of our expectations and much of our neighborliness involves a whole lot of doing. We host big dinners, running our feet off the ground to keep our guests well-fed and watered. We offer to take on a bit of extra work when we notice that our colleague is experiencing significant stress and anxiety at home. We spend an afternoon hauling furniture up flights of stairs into a next-door neighbor's apartment. We get involved in projects, we get involved in charity events, we organize parties, we deliver meals, we run fundraising events. We do all of these things in order to be a good neighbor. And these are all good things to do. This is all good neighborliness. But what if in the midst of all of our doing of neighboring, we forget about the person we're being a neighbor to. What if we're so busy trying to help people and do good things and solve everyone's problems that we forget to just be with people, to be present, to listen to them and their stories, to let our neighbor be not just a problem for us to solve, but a neighbor. Luke tells us that Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to do. The Greek word for distracted, perispato, literally means she was pulled in many directions. Martha is so caught up in all the things she thinks she needs to do that she ends up becoming frazzled and heated and angry. She becomes divided within herself, pulled apart, undone. And the great irony of this story is that the very conviction Martha holds about being a good and proper host leads her to be a bad one. In her frustration, she causes a scene, publicly shaming her sister and presuming on her honored guest to intercede. In this moment, she is not a good neighbor to Jesus or to her sister. Because neighboring is not just about doing things for people. It's about loving people. And love takes time. You can't love well on the run. 
The Christian author John Ortberg says that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. Love takes time. It takes time to sit and listen to the life story of the person we just served a meal to at the soup kitchen. It takes time to ask, hey, what's going on when our colleague appears harried and stressed? It takes time to ask about the people in the picture frames we're pulling out of our neighbor's moving boxes. It takes time to just sit and be with a person, enjoying their presence with no expectations or strings attached. It takes time to make a person feel like they are seen and accepted for who they are. Love takes time. If we're honest, I think that sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, we prefer to be in a hurry, to fill our lives with obligations, with things to do, because we can control the things we do. But people are messy. And loving people is messy. It takes time, and it takes vulnerability. It takes a presence of ourselves, our full selves, with our own stories and wonderings, a giving of ourselves to one another in mutuality. That can be hard and scary. And it's often easier and safer to just unload the boxes or ladle casserole or deliver furniture or run programs than it is to be fully present to people with our whole selves. I think this is true of individuals, and I think it's a temptation for us as churches as well. Programs are often easier than people. But Jesus invites us to be with people. He invites Martha to slow down and take some time, to take time to be present, to take time to be herself, not Martha the host or Martha the older sister, just Martha. Jesus invites Martha to bring her very self and sit and stay a while with him. Because Jesus was present to Martha. Jesus always took the time to be present to those around him. He stopped on the road, turned to heal the blind man. He went to the home of Zacchaeus and ate with him. He took his disciples away for a time of quiet and rest and togetherness. He stayed at the home of Mary and Martha. Jesus gave himself, his time, his energy to those around him. He gave himself entirely to the point of death for those around him, to us. And he promises to be near to us, strengthening and equipping us by his spirit. He promises to give himself to us. And he 
invites us to follow him then in this vocation of presence. Orpert says Jesus never hurried. If we are to follow Jesus then, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives because by definition, we cannot move faster than the one we are following. So Jesus invites us, his followers, to sit and stay a while with him, to recline at his feet and listen to him, to receive from him, receive his presence, his joy, his peace, his love. And it's from this place, at the feet of our Savior, following our Savior, that we go out to neighbor well. Elizabeth Johnson, a professor at the Lutheran Institute of Theology in Cameroon, says that if all our activities leave us with no time to be still in the Lord's presence and hear God's word, we are likely to end up anxious and troubled. We are likely to end up with a kind of service that is devoid of love and joy and is resentful of others. We will become distracted, divided within ourselves, pulled apart and undone unable to be present to one another with our whole selves. But if we take time to spend with Jesus, if we allow ourselves to be filled with and rooted in God's presence, we can go out with joy and love. If we know the presence of Jesus in our own lives, we can recognize the presence of Jesus in the lives of others. We can be present to Jesus in our own lives and present to the image of God in each other. So now you are asking, well, which one is it? Do we listen to Pastor Tom's sermon on doing or Pastor Laura's sermon on being with. Well, the great preacher Fred Craddock so solves this problem for us. He once said, if we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, the Samaritan or Mary, his answer would probably be yes. Serve and act and stay listen and be with. So carry the moving boxes and then take time to ask people about the town they just moved from and what they'll miss most about it. And do the extra work for people. And then take time to invite your colleague out for coffee to ask what's going on. And go pick up the furniture being donated to the thrift store. And then take the time to ask the elderly man who's making the donation about the downsizing he's undergoing after the loss of his spouse and how that is for him. Take time. Take time to love one another as Christ loved us so that the presence of Christ might be known through us you pray with me? Holy God, 
Thank you for being present to us. Thank you that you delight in spending time with us. And that you invite us to spend time with you. That you like for nothing more than for us to come and sit at your feet and listen and receive and be with you. And so God, help us to take the time to do that. So that we might then be filled with your love and joy and peace. An unhurried peace out of which we can be present to one another. So that in our conversations, in our actions, with all of the people we come across in a day, they might feel seen and heard and loved. That they might know your presence through us. Would Christ be seen in all that we do? Would we follow Christ in all that we do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.